Welcome to day 114 of Shape by the Word, Season 2. I'm Paul here with uh, Matt and Katie and David as we continue our journey through the book of Isaiah. Uh, we've entered the last uh, section of Isaiah that started in chapter 56 and uh, moves all the way you know, through 66. Uh, in the first section, you know, God warns the nation of, of coming judgment. In the second section, they're experiencing that judgment, and yet God offers them hope. And in this section, starting, you know, in chapter 56, God invites them into the full restoration uh, that will come from the suffering who is served, the king who reigns. And uh, there's a deep contrast uh, between the call to live righteously and the kind of righteousness that the nation is pursuing. And that's a problem from the very beginning in Isaiah. Uh, idolatry has crept into the nation. Uh, they're, they're self-absorbed and paying no attention to the poor and the downtrodden and uh, those who are weak and those who are without resources. And when they do come into the temple, they're simply going through the motions. So the challenge is going to be here to stop going through the motions, to pursue the righteousness that God gives, and to live our lives in a reflection of that righteousness. As we talk, chapter 57, we're actually picking up on the section we read yesterday in 56, uh, where it describes the state of the nation and their carelessness you know, toward the things of God. And then it comes to one of the most beautiful invitations or descriptions of God uh, that we find in, in, in all of Scripture. So we start uh, with Isaiah 57. And uh, as we read, we're aware that uh, we, we read to know God, we read to be transformed by God, to have our affections stirred by Him. It's not a casual in the 10 or 12 minutes that we spend just to check off of our list and move on uh, you know, with a list of things to do. Uh, it's a transformational moment with the Lord. So uh, we, we trust Him to meet us here. We trust Him to complete His work in us. And we ask Him uh, you know, to do exactly that. So, Katie, before we read, do you mind lifting us up with a word of prayer? That's good. Father, thank you for meeting us where we are. Thank you that we can count on your presence um, to be so near to us. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you continue to speak to us um, through your word and how your spirit um, brings these words to life and, and helps us to interpret them and um, and that you, you change us. Thank you for doing that work in us. Thank you that it's not up to us um, to strive to, to be good, um, but that your work in us and for us, Jesus, um, leads us to walk in righteousness. Would you change us today? And would you make us to look more and more like Jesus as we read your word together as your, as your body? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 57. The righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands. That the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. But you, come here, you children of sorcerers, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Who are you mocking? At whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? You burn with lust among the oaks, and under every spreading tree you sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idols among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. Indeed, they are your lot. Yes, to them you've poured out drink offerings and offered grain offerings. In view of all this, shall I relent? 
You have made your bed on a high and lofty hill. There you went up to offer your sacrifices behind your doors and your doorposts. You put your pagan symbols forsaking me. You uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you love, and you looked with lust on their naked bodies. You went to Molech with olive oil and increased your perfumes. You sent your ambassadors far away. You descended to the very realm of the dead. You wearied yourself by such going about, but you would not say, it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me, and have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart? Is it not because I have been long silent that you do not fear me? I'll expose your righteousness and your works, and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you, and the wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says who lives forever and whose name is holy. I live in a high and a holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. I've seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked, they are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, my God says, for the wicked. You have the nation returning from exile, and you have uh, the righteous generation, uh, you know, that uh, led the nation back is, is soon disappearing off the scene, and it's being replaced by, you know, another nation that very much resembles the same nation. They've come very casual toward the things of God. They've incorporated many of the worldly practices around them. A very vivid, vivid poetry of, uh, and, you know, portrait of, of, of spiritual you know, adultery. Uh, you've, you've climbed in bed and you've observed their nakedness and you've lost after every high hill. And so, you know, when we look at our sin, we always see our sin, you know, in the, in the smallest you know, way possible. Uh, when God looks at our sin, this is this is a Godward view uh, of what our idolatries look like. They look every bit like uh, adultery, a spiritual adultery, and, and so it's a it's a really hard picture. Uh, but these are people who've just come back, who just realized the Lord's rescue, and are just as quickly moving back into their old ways. So this is describing us <laughs> exactly. I mean, and it, it is. That's one of the things you know as we read. Scripture time and time again, we see just how often the Lord speaks against the idolatry of his people because we're so prone to jump into idolatry. You know, and, and so just seeing we trust in things that we <clears throat> create with our own hands. We trust in in things that are not things at all. I mean, in all these idols, you know, for us in reading this, so so many of our idols are are not bad things. They're 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 good things that we turn into God things to still, you know, that that common definition. But to, it's to look in some ways, whether we realize or not, like all the nations around us, and in doing so, we forsake our God, and we we fail to hear His voice. And and I mean that what does He say? When you cry out for help, let the collection of idols save you. Mm-hmm. You know, and as we've been reading the story of Scripture, we see God's people when He when they cry out. I mean, the Exodus, 
you know, when God heard their cries and their groanings, you know, he had compassion on them. Yeah. And it reminds you when Paul, you know, walks into the city of Athens and says, I perceive you're a very religious people. Uh, do you have monuments, you know, to every conceivable God you could think of? And just in case you missed one, there's a monument, you know, to the unknown God. And, uh, you know, it is a God of Israel, even in Israel, who has become the unknown God. Uh, he has become a God, you know, that, that they've marginalized and they have not heard. They're, uh, they may worship him, but they worship him with the kind of the same, you know, divided devotion that they're giving to all, all of their other gods. And they said, and all of that will blow away, just like <clears throat> by breath, breath of the wind. Mm-hmm. It's also, as even after reading Isaiah 57, just a good reminder for me of like, hey, David, why should you be in the Word maybe every day? Why should you read the Word? Because I need to hear what the Word's saying. And I probably wasn't going to be thinking about my sinfulness and my idols today as much as I should have. But the Word put that in front of me and reminded my heart, yeah, you know, yeah, you stick your tongue out at people, right? You know, <laughs> you you have this heart that is a heart that would mock and would go after other things. And so I, I need that reminder of not only my sinfulness, but that's why I love the second half of 57 is, you know, um, he talks about how, you know, I've heard, I've seen their ways, he says, but I will heal them. Peace, peace to those who are far, says the Lord, and I will heal them. So it's also that reminder that just like Israel here, I can't heal myself. I can't mm-hmm. fix this brokenness in me. I need the Lord to heal me. It shows us. Oh, sorry, I don't didn't mean to cut you no, off. It just shows us like the um, the importance of having a contrite heart, like having a repentant heart, because that's what He's saying. Is like I those who are contrite and come to me um, with repentance. I mean, I will I will heal them, and and those who have. Um, just a haughty spirit, a spirit that is that mocking spirit and who don't, who don't actually realize that they need me um, and aren't coming to me humbly. I mean, they're not going to be, receive the same healing. So, I mean, it just shows me how important it is to like come before him. And just like you said, David, like put his word in front of me often daily, mm-hmm. maybe even, I mean, more than daily, like several times a day, because um, because I need to be reminded of who he is and who I am. And that if I'm going to be in his presence, I mean, I am going to be humbled um, and that he heals us. And I love that promise. It's no, and, and, and of course, it's very reminiscent of, uh, you know, Jesus, when he sat down on the, on the mountain to teach the people, mm-hmm. and he said, this is what the people of God look like. These are the one who live in God's blessing, uh, those who are poor in spirit. And those who, who who mourn, and then those who are meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and, and those who are determined to seek the peace and bring the peace that only God gives, and, and those who will ultimately be persecuted. And this is what it means to be salt and light, to be called to be a people that declare his praises and show the excellencies of his way. And what beautiful description of, of God, uh, you know, uh, Verse 15, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. What a beautiful description about the transcendence of God. He is so high above us. His name and, and the word holiness or categories that we have no language for or no ability to even conceive if we did have, you know, the language for them. And, and that is his loftiness and his exalted nature. 
uh, but he is also an imminent God, one who is near us and one who, who uh, loves those who, who turn to him in, in poverty of spirit and mourn their sin and restores them. Those are great words, you know, to be restored, to be made, uh, you know, to be made whole, to be revived. And, and those are beautiful, you know, beautiful pictures. It's one of those passages, too, that it just, I mean, we read it and say, man, I find such comfort in that. And yet I find it so unbelievable at the same time because it just seems so counterintuitive that this God who is this glorious, high, exalted, would draw near to to the least of these. And the God who's seen us for who we really are. Yeah. And he's like, I'll still heal you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come to me, contrite, lowly in spirit. You know, I'm like, is that really, you know, what he's looking for? But it is. That's what he says. And. And so it's that contrast at times. It just seems like, man, this truth is so good and yet so hard to get into my heart. Mm-hmm. I feel like I want to earn my way into his presence. Or- yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the good news of, you know, verse 18 and 19. Uh, I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to the mourners, creating the praise that is on their lips. Peace, peace to those who are far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. So our, our salvation and our restoration is from beginning to end a, a work that he does in our heart. Um, and he is, he's even the one who uh, you know, creates the praise on our lips or mm. gives us a heart to praise him. And that is a beautiful, uh, a beautiful invitation into the presence. And, of course, the wicked are not like that. There is no peace for those who look to themselves and trust in the things of this world. Father, we thank you uh, that the high and Holy One is near to the broken and contrite. And Father, we thank you for your presence. And we thank you, Father, that your, your comfort is not just simply an encouraging word, but you revive us and you restore us. And Father, we, we thank you for the grace we find in Jesus. Amen. Amen.